time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Welcome to the show. Walter Storholt here alongside Charles Weldy, founder of CP Weldy Group. Hey, Charles, how are you this week? I'm doing well, Walter. How are you doing? Glad to hear that. I am also well and looking forward to today's show. As we host today's show, we've certainly passed the halfway point in the year. Charles, things have already started to take a cooler turn. It's football season again. I can't believe how fast 2019 has flown by us. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. To yeah. Fill it the Eagles. I know you're uh, you, you're calling for uh, for another victory this season, right? I hope so. I, I think we'll get to the playoffs, and anything can happen once you're there. But if uh, our quarterback Carson Wentz stays healthy, I think we got a shot to make it to the Super Bowl. Well, we will see how the Eagles do. It's shaping up to be another fun season of football, and hopefully for folks in the Philly area, a fun season of Eagles football. Well, this time of year also means that we're kind of entering into that third and fourth quarter of the financial year. And as we get into the second half, deeper and deeper into the second part of 2019, there are some planning items that you might want to run a quick checkup on, especially if you're retiring soon or recently retired, to make sure that you're still on the right financial track. And also ask yourself, are you focusing on the right things financially? We're going to talk about that on today's show. we got a couple of checklist items here, Charles, that we're going to hit, so let's talk about these. First on the list is to evaluate IRA or Roth contribution options. Why is this a good time of year to do that? Well, it's a really good time because, you know, IRA and Roth IRA contributions, Walter, are really based upon your income for the year. If your income is over a certain amount, you're not allowed to contribute to a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. So that's why that's important. But here's the thing. I mean, even if you were able to contribute, you're limited to six to $7,000 a year, depending upon your age for a single person. If a person is over 50 or 50 and older, they can put away seven. If someone's under 50, they can put away six. So that really doesn't really rock the boat in terms of the monies that people will need for retirement. So what we look at is we look at their 2018 tax return and we see what their marginal tax bracket was. So basically a marginal tax bracket is, hey, the last dollar of taxable income on your return, what did you pay? And generally speaking, most people are in the 10, 12, 22 or 24 percent marginal tax bracket. And we feel strongly enough that if someone's in the 24 or less marginal tax bracket, that we can help them shift money from tax deferred IRA accounts to tax free Roth accounts. And that's called Roth conversions and Roth conversions. It really doesn't matter what your income is. You can do them unlimitedly, but obviously there's a strategy. You don't want to do too little and you don't want to do too much. So I would say that this is an ideal, the third and fourth quarter of the year is an ideal time for people to come in and sit down with a professional and determine, hey, what leeway do I have from now to the end of the year to shift money from tax deferred accounts to tax free accounts? It's a good time to do this now. A lot of people don't think about these things until really tax day, Charles. That's tax filing. What you're describing is tax planning. There's a big difference between the two. Absolutely. Yeah. We actually, Walter, created, our group created what we call the tax management journey. And it's a process. It's a seven-step process that we take clients through. And it's very powerful. I mean, we're going to see in a minute, there's probably questions on getting out of debt. And a lot of people that I meet, they don't have a mortgage. They're in retirement, but they do have a mortgage on their IRA account. 
So, you know, the reality of it is let's quantify that and see if there's a strategy that we can perhaps decrease or eliminate that liability in the near future. We're talking about these third and fourth quarter planning to-do list items that should be on your financial honey-do list. Another item on the list here, Charles, is to look for opportunities for charitable donations to increase tax deductions. So, yeah, this is a kind of unusual. Uh, I went to a workshop maybe about a month or two ago, and the uh, leader of the workshop indicated that 2018 filers, all the returns that have been filed, over 80% of the people who filed did not itemize their deductions, which meant that they took the standard deduction, which is a large amount for people that are single and a large amount for people that are married. It could be fifteen dollars to $30,000, depending upon age. So here's my point. My point is that most people are still contributing to charities, but they're not getting a tax deduction for it. So there's really two solutions that I see. Solution number one, if you are over 70 and a half, you're permitted to take money out of your IRA and send it directly to a charity. What's beneficial about that? Well, you'll still get your standard deduction, so you didn't lose anything there. However, that money that you took out of your IRA will not be taxable. So it's a way to give contributions to a charity once you're 70 and a half or older and basically not picking up income and you know giving the charity what you would have given them and perhaps you know still being permitted to use your standard deduction. The second item that a lot of people can employ, no matter how old you are, is called setting up a donor advised fund, D-O-N-O-R, donor advised fund. So basically what that entails, Walter, is I might take $100,000 out of my IRA and I might take that $100,000 and open up a $100,000 donor advised fund. So immediately what happens on my tax return, I have 100,000 in taxable income because I took it out of a traditional IRA. However, I have a $100,000 charitable deduction because I set it up in the same year. And now I have a period of time to give that money to charity and I still get my standard deductions throughout my lifetime. It's a win-win for the charity. It's a win-win for the taxpayer. It's not a win-win for the government. Interesting analysis there. That's an example, I guess, Charles, of just a great example, really, of how the financial landscape can change quickly. Because just two or three years ago, your advice would probably have been a lot different there, at least the takeaways from in terms of tax deductions and how it impacts the majority of tax filers and savers would have been different. But an example of how a, a rule, a law, all of a sudden changes the dynamic. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't know what the percentage was prior to 2018, but I'm sure not 80% or over 80% of the people took a standard deduction, more people itemized than, you know, 20%. So it did really drastically impact the benefit of a charitable deduction. I'm not uh, close to retirement, but I was one of the ones who went from itemizing to taking the standard deductions. And I know that there were certainly many more as the statistics bear out. Another fourth quarter, third quarter of planning to-do list item here, Charles, is to offset gains with losses in your investments. Now, to some people, this seems counterintuitive. Why would I want to you know, sell my losers? Why wouldn't I hold on to them and then just realize the gains? This is one of those ones that I think the layperson doesn't quite get. Yeah, well, it's called tax harvesting. And what you do is you look at your portfolio in a third or fourth quarter and you say, hey, what do I have 
that is, you know, a winner and what do I have that is not a winner? And basically, you know, what you want to do, even if you like the stocks that are winners or losers, as long as you wait 30 days to buy that security back, you're going to be okay. So basically it's called tax harvesting. So if I have an asset that is, I don't know, let's just say it's a $10,000 gain and I have another asset investment that has a $7,000 loss. If I wanted to take advantage of tax harvesting, what I would do is I would sell both. I'd have a net $3,000 gain in that example. And then I'd probably look for another security to wipe out that gain so I wouldn't have to pay any tax. But Walter, that brings up an interesting sidebar here. What most people don't understand is that depending upon what your taxable income is, you might not have to owe any capital gains tax on the sale of your securities. What I mean by that is, if someone is um, single, if their taxable income falls below round numbers, 39,000, and let's just say they had 30,000 of capital gains, they would owe no tax because there's no capital gains tax on $39,000 of taxable income for someone who's single. And conversely, if someone were married, multiply that by two, I'm just using round numbers, somebody could have taxable income of $78,000. And if that $78,000, let's just say 50,000 was capital gain, they wouldn't owe any tax on that $50,000. So my point is that, you know, the way the tax system set up, most people out there don't realize that different types of income is taxed differently. And to meet with a planner late in the year, whether it's like September, October, November, December, they could be shifting their portfolios to take advantage, not only of the tax laws, but maybe reposition their assets so that in the future, maybe some of those assets will grow more tax efficiently. Makes a lot of sense and a helpful thing to start thinking about here near the end of the year. If you find some of these things to be difficult to do on your own, you know, hey, how do I really evaluate these IRA options or uh, gains and losses and offsetting them and, and doing that tax harvesting and all these buzzwords start to pile up in your brain a little bit? Don't worry, Charles Weldy can certainly help you through that process. If you're a current client, this is something that Charles basically doing throughout the year for you, looking into your portfolio, making sure that you're following these kinds of best practices. If you've never worked with Charles before, it's the kind of thing he'll do initially, certainly to see where you stand and then see what kind of changes and uh, maintenance needs to occur on the plan going forward. This is the kind of stuff that we would file under that maintenance tab, I suppose. You could also, this time of year, get updated estimates on retirement income streams. This may sound boring, you know, just getting estimates on what your pension or social security is going to provide for you. But Charles, this is an important step. Yeah, it is an important step, Walter, because basically when people retire, they call it what a three-legged stool. Pension is one leg, Social Security is a second leg, and income from investments is a third leg. Well, today, you know, most people don't have a pension. So we're looking really at a two-legged stool. So if you know what your Social Security benefits are going to be, there's time to plan for, hey, when's the best time to take them? Especially if you're married, you know, there could be some strategies that you could implement where one takes it earlier than the other, that type thing. But the importance of knowing what your pension and or social security benefits are going to be and your income streams are going to be is you can really quantify what your income gap is going to be per month. And that's really the foundation of financial planning, knowing what your monthly income gap is, multiplying by 12, you know, factoring an inflation hedge, and then actually reallocating your investments into 
now money, soon money, later money will give you the confidence of knowing like, hey, you know what? I've got my assets positioned as best I can to take advantage of the cash flow that I'm going to need throughout you know, my retirement year. So that's really important. We do a lot of that planning late in the year, just so people know whether they're going to continue with the income that they've been getting in the current year and in the subsequent year, or maybe we need to bump it up a little bit or maybe tail it back a little. We also have this other item on the checklist. Charles, create a plan or a schedule to be debt-free if you don't have one already. Where do you rank being debt-free in terms of importance when it comes to preparing for retirement? Well, Walter, I think there's good debt and bad debt. And I would say good debt, probably, even though we all wish we didn't have a mortgage on our house, you know, that's probably good debt, not bad debt, because we're leveraging an asset. If I have a house worth 400000 and I have a $150,000 mortgage on it, I'm not worried about paying like 2.85% or three and a quarter percent, you know, because for me to rent a place, you know, it, it would be like a lot more. But here's the thing too, is I find that when people retire, you know, some of them have too much debt. I mean, you know, I'm not here to, you know, quantify what too much debt is, but, you know, I'm surprised at some of the people who retire that still have like large mortgage balances. Where am I going with this? Well, where I'm going with this is that when I look at people's IRAs or 401ks or 403Bs, their tax deferred retirement accounts, I always look to see like, hey, what's the potential future unfunded tax debt on this money? And generally speaking, what I'll do, I'll just take 25% of their account balance as a simple computation and say, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Jones, your million dollar IRA isn't really a million dollars. It's only 750000 Why? Because as you take the money out, you're going to have to pay a toll charge to Uncle Sam. And that's basically going to be round numbers, 25% of what you take out. Now, I'm overgeneralizing, but I want people to get the concept. If tax rates in the future are going to go higher than they are today, maybe that 25 will be 28. So my point is that you know, if we can create a strategy, and again, I'm getting back to that tax management journey, a strategy where we can look at your unfunded future tax obligation and maybe develop a systematic process where each year we're going to allocate so much from tax deferred, move it to tax free, hey, pay the toll charge up front with the hope that future earnings will be tax-free. And overall, when they raise taxes, we paid at historically low rates. We won that game. So that's a big deal of my retirement planning. I love tax management. Tax planning is really important. It's something that even the CPAs don't do a lot of. They do tax preparation, then they go on vacation. And then I don't know what they do after that. I guess they do business accounting. But tax planning is so important part of financial planning, and most people neglect that piece of it. All right, Charles, one last item here. This one, we talked about some buzzwords earlier. This one has a couple of them in it as well, but maybe just as important as anything else we've talked about. Rebalancing your portfolio this time of year as you enter the second half of a year. So here in 2019, rebalancing your portfolio to make sure that you are diversified. There's the other buzzword as diversified as you need to be, that's an important thing to think about right now. Yeah, rebalance is important because if the stock market's gone up, 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 and you were like uh, maybe a 60-40 investor, 60% in stock, 40% in fixed income, with the market going up, you know, maybe you're 75, 25 or whatever, it's important to rebalance because when, not if, the market corrects or, you know, goes down, 
you want to make sure that, you know, you're not getting hammered because you're out of balance. I mean, if, if we only had a 60-40 rise in our portfolio, because that's, we were modern investors, and now we're 75-25 and we don't rebalance and the market goes down, well, then basically 75% of our stock portfolio is going to go down. Whereas if it was rebalanced, maybe only 60% would go down. So it's important to rebalance. And here's the thing about rebalancing and stock diversification and investment diversification. And it's kind of like counterintuitive, but the more diversified you are, the lower returns that you can expect. Because think about it, like if I love Google stock or I love Warren Buffett's, you know, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, you know, and I concentrate my investments in those two particular investments, you know, I might have a much higher return than anyone else, you know, depending upon how well those particular stocks did. But I'm not diversified. If I'm diversified amongst asset classes, stocks, bonds, growth, value, you know, large companies, small companies, domestic, international, what's going to happen is, you know, we don't know who's going to win the race, but we know that, you know, we're going to get a little bit of everything, good or bad. And, you know, I think diversification is really important and people should not worry about their portfolio's performance if they're well diversified, because over time they're going to get, you know, a consistent return based upon the risk that they're willing to take. So a long-winded answer, but you know, you got to rebalance at least once a year. I'm not so sure four times a year or twice a year makes it any better, but at least once a year, you got to rebalance your portfolio and get as diversified as you possibly can based upon the risks that you're willing to take. Well, there you have it, the third and fourth quarter planning to-do list. I know it seems like a lot of items, but hopefully some of these, especially if you're doing these every year or once or twice a year, it's a pretty easy routine to tick through these items relatively quickly. If it's the first time you've gone through these things, it's definitely great to have some help along the way. And if you'd like to use Charles Weldy for that help, he is, after all, the founder of CP Weldy Group, serving you in Delaware and the Chester County areas. You can find him in his office at Chad's Ford, PA, on Route 52, or on Online, of course, at cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. Charles certainly specializes in creating tax-efficient retirement plans, and you can see a lot of the checklist items having tax implications, of course, to them. You can also give a call if you want to set up a time to meet or ask Charles some questions that are on your mind. 610-388-7705 is the number. 610-388-7705. Charles, thanks for the information and the help on today's show, and we'll do it again next time around. Thank you, Walter. My pleasure. All right. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Reengineering Your Finances podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.